Dear Father in heaven, we ask you to join us here this morning. We trust that you have kept your promises and that you are here. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts, your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Most great films have a memorable line, something that you walk out of the theater saying to yourself or to your friends that you saw the movie with and that you later find popping up in the popular lexicon. And maybe if, if a film truly captures the public's imagination, you might find two lines like that. Well, I rewatched uh, Jerry Maguire the other day and realized that that movie has three of these sort of society-wide lines in it. And this is a movie that was made 20 years ago, by the way, and many people still use and quote these three lines. Even today, these three lines are, of course, you complete me, you had me at hello, and show me the money. It's incredible, right? Cameron Crowe should get a Lifetime Achievement Oscar just for those three sentences alone. But it's actually a fourth line from Jerry Maguire that stood out to me on this most recent viewing, and it's a line that I found especially appropriate for New Year's Day. Now, it comes right after Renee Zellweger's character, Dorothy, has her first real date with Tom Cruise's Jerry Maguire, and she's telling her sister about it the next morning. And ultimately, she's telling her sister that she's in love. And she says this incredible thing. She says, I love him. I love him. I love him for the man he's trying to be. And I love him for the man he almost is. Notice, of course, that she doesn't actually love Jerry Maguire. She loves him some theoretical future Jerry Maguire. She loves the Jerry that he's trying to be. Now, doesn't this sound exactly like somebody considering their New Year's resolutions? And here we find ourselves at January 1st, once again, the failures and shortcomings of 2016 are over. 2017 is full of potential. This is the year we can finally succeed. This is the year when we'll accomplish all the things that we've so often failed to achieve in the past. Of course, we said the exact same thing at the end of 2015, didn't we? I've been reading all over social media that 2016 was the worst year ever. You've probably seen this. With the implication, of course, being that if we all set our minds to it, if we all work together, if we all make the right New Year's resolutions and stick to them, we can make 2017 better. Even our local Louisville PBS station had a headline on their website on Thursday that said, goodbye and good riddance to 2016. So let's get to it. Let's make this agreement. Let's make our resolutions. Let's do better in 2017. Each year we do this. We make commitments to ourselves and to others and perhaps even to God to be better than we were last year. Perhaps we want to finally lose those pesky five or 
15 pounds or 50, you know, whatever. We Christians often take on especially weighty resolutions, don't we? We want to be more faithful, more loving, read the Bible more, pray more often and more sincerely. We want to finally put aside that besetting sin, that thorn in our flesh that's been plaguing us. And a new year seems like as good a time as any for a fresh start. Now, as I confessed to you all last year, and as I've said in sermons over the years to various churches, I've never made New Year's resolutions, sort of my contrarian nature. I always said it was because I was more self-actualized than that, that I know myself too well, right? I knew and have always known that I have no hope of keeping any resolutions that I might make. As I said before, I'm the guy who bragged about how well I was doing giving up chocolate for Lent while I was eating an Oreo McFlurry. That's just the kind of guy that I am. In fact, hasn't joking about how soon you're going to break your New Year's resolution become just as common as making New Year's resolutions in the first place? Recently, though, my problem with resolutions has become more theological in nature, as you might imagine. I envision St. Paul waking up on January 1st and noticing, like I do, that all his Facebook friends are making resolutions, and not only making them, but feeling the urge to share them with everyone in the world. And I see St. Paul scrolling through his news feed and finally deciding to post himself. And St. Paul posts something along the lines of what he wrote to the Galatians in chapter 3 on his Facebook wall on January 1st. He says, Oh foolish people, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun with the Spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? Did you experience so many things in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? See, the urge behind New Year's resolutions is very simple. These promises we make to ourselves, these decisions that we make to do better, are the ways by which we try to cross the gulf that exists between the us that we are today and the us that we wish we were. When Dorothy says that she loves Jerry for the man he's trying to be, and for the man he almost is. This is every one of us. Because we all assume that people and God will really love the us that we ought to be. That we're trying to be. We're pretty sure, actually, that no one could love the us that we are today. Especially not God, who sees and knows the deepest and darkest secrets of our hearts and minds. 
And so we make resolutions. New Year's is just an opportune time. We're actually doing this all the time, every day, every hour. We resolve to do better. We resolve to get it done. But as St. Paul said in that Facebook post from Galatians 3, we Christians have already been given an eternal answer for that gulf that exists between the us we are and the us we ought to be. You see, crossing that gulf is not our job. It's Jesus' job. We also read about it this morning in our reading from Philippians. Though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. You heard it, right? Jesus starts with who he ought to be and then empties himself and then humbles himself even further. Jesus crossed the gulf between the us that we ought to be and the us that we are from the other side. He came to us from that side to this side. Though he was God, he humbled himself, coming to us, which, by the way, is exactly what we celebrate at Christmas, and then humbled himself again to die a criminal's death for our sins and for the sins of the world. We hear it summed up even more succinctly and clearly in Romans 3 when St. Paul says that all sin and are justified freely as a gift by the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So how do we get from the us we are to the us we ought to be? Jesus comes from the us we ought to be to the us that we are. But the way that we talk about resolutions often sounds like, as St. Paul says in Galatians 3, an attempt to finish in the flesh, right? The journey that Jesus started us off on by his grace, we're now going to finish by our effort. The righteousness of God, though, has been revealed apart from the law, apart from the rules, apart from things like resolutions, says St. Paul in Romans 3. And yet, so often we take New Year's and every other opportunity as our chance to give ourselves new laws, new rules, new work to do, the laws of resolution. And so my answer used to be, don't make resolutions. Don't do it. You'd be foolish, in fact, to choose to live under more weight to give yourself a new law, a new standard, more work to do. When you know how the law works and you know how standards work, judging you, criticizing you, and you know that this kind of life leads inexorably to failure every time. 
This year, though, I've got a new idea. This year, I want you to make resolutions. But make your resolutions harder. Make them impossible. You see, the problem with your resolutions isn't that they're too hard for you to keep, although they usually are. The problem is that you think that you've got a chance, and so you rely on yourself. You work up your will, exert all your effort, and give it your best shot. And we think, perhaps, that we can shrink by our striving that gulf between the us that we are and the us that we ought to be. And maybe, just maybe, one day we can get across if we work hard enough. When John the Baptist was continually questioned about his standing with regard to Jesus in John chapter 3, he finally says that Jesus must become greater and I must become less. He says Christ must increase and I must decrease. In other words, we should increase our need for Christ, not work to decrease it. Our resolutions should look less like a register of achievable goals and more like the demands of the Sermon on the Mount, a terrifying list of requirements that forces us to our needs. We should know, looking at that gulf, that chasm between the us that we are and the us that we ought to be, that should we attempt to jump it, we would surely be dashed to pieces on the rocks below. So this year, resolve to turn the other cheek every single time. This year, resolve to love your enemies, even the ones who hurt you again and again. This year, resolve to never, ever have a lustful or angry thought. And if those are your resolutions, you'll end 2017 having cried out for the saving grace and mercy of Jesus Christ more than you did in 2016. And you'll end this year more in love than ever with Jesus' comfortable words. Come unto me, all ye that travail and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We attempt to tell ourselves that a happy new year is one in which we get closer to the other side of that divide between the us we are and the us we ought to be, if not finally reach that far shore. A truly happy new year, though, is one in which we come more face-to-face -face with our need for a Savior and more often hear the good news proclaimed that our Savior has come from that side to this, that though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. 
but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. A death on the cross that he died for me and for you. Our Savior, Jesus Christ's work, is complete. And that is why God has given him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Our Savior has come from that side to this side. And he has done his work, bringing us out of error into truth, out of sin into righteousness, out of death into life. Those of us in Christ do not merely celebrate a new year. We celebrate every day a new life. Amen.